He lived perfectly. He lived out of perfect love for the Father. And he did this as a substitute so that being put into the ground and being put to death and taking the ravaged wrath of God for sin when he was raised from the dead, he could impart that new life into a new race. My followers who may go from week to week, I apologize for last week or in the midst of moving in the house and things just got ahead behind me and I, so I couldn't do the, the podcast. But I am bringing it back this week and I we're here to talk about the cross and Christ and the gospel and I do pray that you will be blessed richly in the uh, in this message from Romans chapter 5. Now here's the message. The 20th century began with such promise, the hope of new technology that would save the world. When it was all over, according to my research, some 2.4 billion people lost their lives because someone took it from them. Be it wars, crime, abortion, ethnic cleansing, so on, so on. Hate and not love was the reason for death, contrary to the law of God. So I asked the question, why do people murder one another? Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, it is, it is as the sin of murder. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you once again to acknowledge you as the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one to whom all things are owed, our lives, the lives we live, how we live, for what purpose we live, it all belongs to you. Everything belongs to you, not the stuff. And more importantly, the things that life are made out of are our attitudes, our motives, our goals, our desires, all of it our love, our hate, our intelligence, everything belongs to you, comes from you. And we recognize that sinful men did not acknowledge this reality one way or another, either intellectually or by how we live our lives. We deny it. We ask you, Lord, show us grace, show us mercy, show us the truth as it is revealed in your holy word. We give you the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all men because all sinned. It's like the rest of the Bible. It's right to the point, And at the same time, there's so much depth to everything that's said in God's word. So here he's saying this, that sin entered the world through one man. It's Adam. As the Bible describes it, he made Adam and he made Eve. And the race came from those two people. But the thing is, there was sin that entered into the picture and death through that sin. Death comes by a myriad of means. But the fact is, it comes to all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 
The wages of sin is death, the payment, the penalty, the judgment, because men disobey God. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. It's disobedience. It's rebellion. It's a failure to acknowledge God as our creator and that we owe everything to him. The human race is in Adam, so the Bible teaches. As mankind is one in the human race, even so, all men blame shift. We act, we behave, we think so much alike, so much more than we want to believe that we are. We want to believe that we're all individuals. And depending on culture, that changes, of course. But most importantly, it is to man to see ourselves as individuals, especially in America. But this is what the Bible has to say about blame shifting in verse 8 of chapter 3 and following to verse 11. Now they learned the sa- they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he, as God, said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? When confronted by God, the first sign of their altered state in sin reveals itself by a self-serving before the good of another. Self-serving before the good of another. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Blame shifting. The man takes no responsibility. First sign of sin. You know, yes, I was disobedient. I, forgive me. I, what's forgiveness? I mean, these are naive people that were just created from nothing out of actually created out of the earth out of the substance of the earth god formed the man he formed the woman from the man and intelligent as they were top of the genetic chain as they were they knew only obedience to this time they they knew relationship with god up to this point and god told them something told adam do not eat he ate. The woman ate. And the, the, he blames God for it, first of all. The woman whom you gave me to me, to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit. So you gave her to me, and then she ate from me. I mean, he, does, he actually double blames. And then when, he, when God questions the woman, what's her answer? Uh, what is this you have done? Well, the, the serpent deceived me. No real uh, accepting the, the, the reality that they had committed or something wrong. So the result of their sin and disobedience, consequences were pro- brought upon them, upon them 
to reveal the destructive power of sin and to retain evil. And so this is what God said. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall deliver children. If you desire, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that word desire is, it, it is the desire to rule over the man. God says, no, he shall rule over you. But one of the traits of sin, and particularly in the man-woman relationship, is to command, is to rule, dominate. And men do it to men, women do it to men. Even though God sets up order in, in the world, whether it's government or police or, you know, just courts of law, you know, all the rest, conscience, you know, man just has to have his own way. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. Now he listened. He did what he wanted to do. God said, you shall not eat from it. Curse in the ground is the ground because of you. With hard labor, you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. Yet you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, your brow, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so judgment was meted out right away in the command of God that men would die. It would be hundreds of years before Adam would actually die. God showed grace. He didn't take his life on that day. That's what grace is, not giving to man what he deserves. As the story progresses in Genesis 1,444 years to the flood, wipes out the entire world, this grew worse and worse and worse. I'm not going to take the time to go into the whole story, but God wiped everybody out and started with Noah. 400 years later, we see this, uh, the tower, the story of the Tower of Babel, which is Genesis 10, 13 through 32, rather, 10, 32 through 11, 9. I'm going to read this following. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their descendants, by their nations, and out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Now remember, these are men at the top of the genetic chain that started things going. And men intermarried, and things were different. And as man went on, and generation after generation, and genetics break down, the world breaks down, put an apple on the table, it's going to deteriorate Things deteriorate, genetics deteriorate, and we have gotten worse and worse and worse, and God forbid it, intermarry after a time. And but nations came from Noah and his three sons. They were the only ones to survive the flood. In verse chapter eleven and verse one says, Now all the earth used the same language and the same words. So every every word meant the same thing to everyone. And everyone had a better understanding of what each person was saying. No excuse for anything. And there was only one language. And then in verse 2, and it came about, as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Then they said to one another, get this, come, let us make bricks and fire them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone 
and they use tar from water. And let, let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of all the earth. Now the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower which the men had built. And this is an expression of God looking into what's there. He, knew, he knows everything. And then many a verse that explains the infinite knowledge of God. But God is looking into this. He wants us to know that. I mean, you have to read the Bible for what it is. Now the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and it, this is what they have started to do, and now nothing which they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore it was named Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, the plan of God is to go forth and multiply. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the statements are made that God wants man to multiply. He wants him to fill the earth. He wants God to men to rule in his place. And he wants them to rule well, and he wants them to do it righteously and in love. This is the perfect will of of Almighty God, but he has permitted sin in the world for a reason. And those reasons will come out in future broadcasts. For today, for this one, we, we need to understand that they were to go out and they said, no, we're going to stay here. God said, no, you're going to be scattered. And not only does he change their language, but over time, genetically, certain types of people with certain types of people came many families, get this, within the one human race. How do I know that? Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 25, which is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Beginning at verse 15 to 21 of Romans chapter 5. But the gracious gift is not like the offense. For if by the offense of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one offense, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the gracious gift arose from many offenses, resulting in justification. For if by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one offense the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also through one act of righteousness the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here's the phrase from, but the gracious gift is not 
like the offense. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, Adam's one sin resulted in death for all mankind. Christ's one sacrifice resulted in justification for many. Because this is what he says, For if the offense of the one, the many, died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Judgment arose from many offenses and resulted in condemnation on all. The gift of God's grace resulted in justification. So we, we understand then that the difference between the gift and the offense is the difference between life and death. For if by the offense of the one death reigned, we're told, through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, what we need to understand is, first of all, the unity of mankind, the oneness, if you will. Look, we understand, and people call it races. The Bible doesn't call it races. It calls it one race, and it's, it's man or mankind or humankind. We're all human beings. We all look similar, and it's the similarity that we need to focus on here. Not distinct differences as color, skin, type of hair, shape of eyes, so on and so, so forth. Shape of body. It's a body. Everybody's got two eyes as normal people. Everyone has one nose, one mouth, two ears, a head, a mind. We're similar. And in that similarity, there is the human race. But there are differences among people groups. Those people groups, God divided up because he said, you want to make war with me? You want to make a name for yourself? You want to make a name for yourself over the name of God? Okay, well, this is what's going to happen. See, this is the consequence of sin. 400 years after the flood, after the stories of the flood, after the, the, it all started with eight people, and it, it had to go from word of mouth. The man was still living hundreds of years at that time. And the story is the, war, the world was wiped out. And you want to know something? Bodies were everywhere. It was a disgusting place to live for a long time because of the flood and the destruction that it left behind. And here, within 400 years, man's doing it again. We are not going to acknowledge God. We are going to rule ourselves. And he says, fine, now you're going to war with one another. You're warring anyway. But now we're going to divide you all up and slow you down so that you don't take matters in your own hands and I have to destroy you again like I did at the flood. And so, in verse 18, it says, So then, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind, so also through the, the act of righteousness, the result was justification of life to all mankind. As one race was condemned, one race was justified. Get this. One race was condemned. One race was justified. One race is in Adam. We all sin. We all pro propagate and we propagate people and we propagate human people. And as human people, we have this trait of sin and denying the existence of God, rebellion, and all the same. It's in every one of us. 
We all sin to one degree or another, in one way or another, no matter where the emphasis is. And as a result, there's condemnation and there's death. When was the last time you saw a person, you know, who had lived a thousand years? I mean, people don't, they die. Within a hundred years on average, 70 years, they're done. We're done. Now at that point, there is reason. It's reasonable that the scripture is telling the truth. Why? Because all men die. Why? Because of sin. And it all comes from this one race because Adam started, Adam and Eve started the entire race. Now God's starting over with a new race. And that new race is all people in Jesus Christ are justified according to the word of God. If any man would come to the Father, Father, he must come to the Father through me. One race were made sinners, one race were made righteous. As through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. That is, all those who are found in Jesus Christ. Grace overruled sin and death. Verse 20, so the law came in so that the offense would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigned in death. But you see, grace reigns through the righteousness to eternal life. And that's right living, what, doing what's right. Obedience to God, loving God, loving people, loving one another. All the right way versus the wrong way. One act of rebellion led to treason by all toward, toward all. One act of righteousness resulted in justification of life. Why do men murder? Why do men hate each other? Why do men hate God? Because of this issue, this matter of sin. But righteousness brings people back together. So we have John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17 is a prayer. Jesus on his way to Gethsemane and the cross and Calvary, there to pay the price for sin. He's going to put sin to death in his own body because before Almighty God, he's going to look, he's going to take on the place. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the second person in the triune God. His Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's only one God. Don't ask me to explain this. But there are three persons in the divine trinity. The Father, the Father who eternally brings forth, begets the Son. And the Holy Spirit, who is the third person who... Uh, wrote the word through men who, in, who in, were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. And he writes of the Father and of the Son. He's equally a person of the Trinity. There's love, there's unity, there's union. And you see this all through this prayer. They were in the upper room. It was light when they went in. And then when Judas leaves, it says he went into the dark. He went into the night. It had become night. When the apostles leave with Jesus, he says to them, get up, let us be going. And they go into the night. And it's, it's light in the darkness. The words of Christ are just that. They are light in the darkness. And as he walks 
down to Gethsemane. As he walks through the dark Jerusalem, no, no lampposts, you know, no electric, you know, torches just to see so they don't stumble. And they're walking in the dark and he's speaking to them. And then at some point it says, Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. He's looking into the heavens. He's speaking to his heavenly father. Almighty God is speaking to almighty God. And what's his prayer? His prayer is, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. He's, he's looking for the glory of the father and he's looking for the father to glorify him. He's looking for God to be known for who he truly is. That's what's behind this word glory. Understanding the essence of true, the true God. Not God that gods that we make out of stone or metal or wood. We fashion the tree to make it look like we want it to look so it looks like the head of a man and the body of a horse or some crazy thing. And we call it God and we bow down and worship to it because we want to worship what we want to worship. We don't want to worship the one true God because it's too hard because he tells us to do things we don't want to do. That's what the law does. It reveals those things. But here is the Father and the Son, and the Son is praying to the Father in the presence of the disciples and us today by way of the Word of God to know what's on the heart of God. What's on your heart? What's on my heart? What's on God's heart? Here's the Son. He's seeking glory. He's seeking the truth. He goes on in verse 2 and says, Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So we're going from death through rebellion. You know, don't eat from the tree. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I mean, the wood is, I mean, I want the woman and the woman ate and the woman's in sin and she's asking me to do this. And even though God, you know, said don't do it, but I'm going to go the way of the woman, you know, and, and this is the, the essence of sin. It's one race doing what we want to do for whatever selfish reasons we want to do it. But Jesus here, he is giving him. He's, he's, he's giving to others. He's seeking to give to others as he goes to the cross, eternal life. The Father gave him the authority to do this. So he says in verse 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life. And it's in knowing. Knowing as in Adam knew Eve and they brought forth a child. The intimacy of knowing. The intimacy of love. The seeking to know someone so dearly, so closely, as in family. And man, even though he's a sinner, he's, he is made in the image of God. And God hasn't totally wiped that away. He's made in the image of God. He's given him a conscience. All of this is grace, by the way. He could have destroyed the first men, done away with the whole race. The whole race wouldn't even have been born. And that would have been, that would have been better for some, way worse for others. But in the plan of God, as I said, we'll bring this comes for, forward in the future. Exactly what the plan of God has revealed in the word of God. But he's showing grace and he's raising up a new race. A race that will have eternal life and go to a place even higher than Adam and Eve ever, ever reached. In verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus lived the life every man was meant to live. He lived perfectly. He lived out of perfect love for the Father. 
And he did this as a substitute so that being put into the ground and being put to death and taking the ravaged wrath of God for sin when he was raised from the dead, he could impart that new life into a new race. Just the way Adam imparted the old sin and the old life and each one of us carried it on so Christ could impart new life of a new being, which is God in human form. He shared our humanity and he's almighty God sharing that humanity. And he's passing on divine attributes to men in a, a higher level than he did at the first creation. Now, the fa- now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. This is a shared glory. Jesus and the Father want unity in this new race. They want a unity that's like Father and Son and Holy Spirit. They want complete unity. No disagreements, no arguments, no fighting, no wars, no hate, no differences, no difficulties. Love and unity. Hear this. It's all through this prayer. Jesus wants love and unity. I've manifested your name to the men who you gave me out of the world. They were yours. And you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. As he continues in this prayer that's spoken in the dark, these words of light, of truth. He's speaking of a divine unity that is to be imparted in the beloved. I have manifest, I've revealed your name to the men you gave to me out of the world. Sanctification is being set apart to God for God's purpose. Not our own purpose, not our own selfish reasoning and and purposes, but for God. They belong to the Father. They're in the Father's thoughts, the Father's design, His plan, and the Son as one with the Father, and yet two persons. They're being given out of the world to Jesus, and Jesus is taking them. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This is unity. This is love. This is agreement. This is something that you don't see in the world. And unfortunately, and to our shame, we don't see it as we should, not nearly as we should in the church. And that's by way of reproach. In verse 7, Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. How did they know that? They've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. They're they're seeing in Jesus God. He told them this. Timothy, have I been with you so long? Do you still ask, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. By grace... They're beginning to get this reality. By the time they write this down, Pentecost has occurred. The Holy Spirit is poured out. I mean, there's illumination of the mind when that happens that just took them into a brightness and an understanding that just surpassed anything they knew in their previous life before knowing Jesus. This is the way it happens. They've come to know. Now they have come to know that everything you've given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, the words, 
I've given to them. Words. Like, what's more personal than our own words, our own thoughts? The words came from the Father to Jesus. He wants his words to reign in our hearts. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Receiving, the sending, the, the, compa- the, the, the unity, the oneness, it's all this prayer is about, just from, from one thought to another thought, it's all bringing together to this point, I have disciples, I have men, men who are of the race of Adam, and we, we're bringing them together. That's the purpose of this whole thing. For all eternity, there'll be a unity and a love. The world, it doesn't even, you know, it hopes for. It, it's hoping for better things every New Year's Eve. Things are going to be better. But you see, unless people change from within, things aren't, they don't get better. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, he's separating again here the world. What's the world? The world are people in Adam, the one race in Adam. But these are coming out. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but those whom you gave me. The Father separated people out in his own mind upon whom to place grace. What? Why? What is that all about? Well, God is sovereign. God makes choices. This is one of the things sinful men don't want to accept. Well, why is he choosing one over another? Who are you to say to the potter, why did you make me like this? You're the pot. The pot doesn't say to the potter, why did you make me like this? That's the essence of sin. You're questioning. We question God in sin. We all do. Even church people, even people who have been redeemed, even people who have received Jesus accepted the fact that he is almighty God and have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ are not perfectly sinless. Now, we are the souls of righteous men and upon death we are made perfect. Sin ends at that point. We go into the presence of God, sin is done, completed. And at that point, hate turns to complete and perfect love. At that point, questioning God is done away with like the holy angels in heaven. No question. What do you want, Lord? Done. No question. No, no, no mind of, of reasoning. No, no rationalizing. No, it's all completely done. It's just all about God. I recognize I'm the pot and you're the potter. I'm the created, you're the creator. It becomes perfectly clear, but not now. So when I say things like grace and bestowing and choosing out, separating from the world, you know you're a sinner if you're looking at hearing these things and you go, what, what is that all about? Why? What gives him the right to do that? What gives God the right? Well, God's always been. He's outside of time. He made time. He's always been. He's not going anywhere. He's God. He makes things from nothing. We can't even understand the concept, and he's doing it, but we're going to question him. Yeah, let me, let me say this. Let's, not, let's stop doing that by receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Wow. All things. It's it's shared. There's no, this is mine. No, no, that's not what Jesus said. He said, all things are mine, 
and you are yours. All things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. I'm seen for who I am. I'm the Son. I'm Almighty God, the Son. There's Almighty God, the Father, and there's Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, and it's all shared. And the reason that the Holy Spirit is so silent is because he's not taking credit. Well, isn't he equally God? He is equally God. But he wants, he glorifies the Father and the Son in this way. It's like we don't even understand the concept, but it's, it's sharing without any thought of self, even though they have, this is God. The Son knows that he's God. He's not ignoring the truth. He's not going to hide the truth. So he goes on, I'm no longer in the world. And yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. What's this mean, I'm no longer in the world? Well, Jesus was on his way to Gethsemane. He's going to recognize what he has to do. What does he have to do? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He knew no sin. He hates sin. He abhors sin. Sin is not acknowledging God. The Father acknowledges the Son infinitely, perfectly, with a love that we have no concept of. The, the Son loves the Father, acknowledges the Father, sees the Father, glorifies the Father in ways we can't begin to understand. The Father is going to pour out his anger on the Son as if he were us. The, the Son is going to be receiving the wrath we deserve. For this reason, as a man, his, his, the pores in his skin you know, just bled. I mean, the horror of this. The horror of not just the wrath, but of being hated by the Father. We, we can't get this. You see, this is about unity. This is about a oneness between father and son, that a concept that we just can't grasp, a love so deep, so rich, so perfect. There's no rebellion in it, see? There's no hatred in it. There's, there's no one-upmanship in it. There's no division in it. And the, they're being torn apart by love for us, by love that the father wants to exalt the son and show his ability to forgive and show mercy and grace, even as there is in the Father. There's a higher purpose for all of this, but there's agony and there's suffering in the paying the price for sin. So he's no longer in the world. He's being taken out of this. He's no longer being seen as the Son. He's not being seen as the Son because he's being seen as those for whom he's dying. And yet they themselves are in the world. They're, they're here they're going to have a job to do, and I come to you. He's on his way to the Father, but he has to go through the cross. He's leaving the world to return to the Father. And so he's no longer in the world. He's about to suffer the pains and the sacrifice of death and punishment. The name which you have given me, they, that they may be one even as we are. And there's the unity. It's all through this. We're up to 11. It's this whole thing. That you may be one. So when you look at the church and you see the example of division, and you see who's Presbyterian and who's Charismatic and who's Pentecostal and who's Baptist, 
And who's Anglican? And on and on the story goes. A church splintered and shattered into a million pieces. Now some are, are simply religious. They're not born again. They're not part of Christ. They're not conservative. They're liberal. They're liberated. They're liberated from the conservative theories and teachings of the gospel. You know, they, they want their own way again. It's just about being religious. It's just about idol worship all over again. It's just contained. It's a, as part of the, the, just the way the Jews didn't see Jesus when he was coming. It was just about false religion. And much of Christianity is just about false religion. Unfortunately, within the church, the true church, rather than being complete harmony and unity, there's division. Why? Because we read the word of God and we come to different conclusions. And also all, all, all the wrong conclusions are sin. I say this understanding I'm a sinful man and how many times I can't tell you I've had to say I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. What the church needs to do today, anyone hearing this, needs to share that we need to be one. And we need to admit we're wrong when we are wrong. There's only one right. There's many applications to the Word of God, but there's only one interpretation. People don't want to accept that. They want to know that their interpretation is right and every other church can be wrong and that's the way it is. But that's, that's ridiculous. Because you can't come together that way. The, 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 the way to the truth is very narrow. The truth is very narrow. Jesus is the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. And it's a narrow way. It's not a broad way. The broad way leads to destruction. The broad way is the way of falsehood, lies, deception, evil, demonic influence. And it corrupts, and it corrupts our understanding of the Word of God. We need to accept this. So he goes on, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So Jesus kept every single one of them, he was keeping them in the Father's name, a name which the Father gave to him. It's still unity, still sharing. There's, no, there's, there's difference, Father and Son, and yet it's one God. It's just a perfect unity, and it's being given to them. It's being given to the disciples. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so they may have my joy made full in them. He now introduces a new term, and that's about joy. I come to you. Jesus is leaving through death. Three days in, uh, in hell, a paradise, actually. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, tell story, uh, and which means the price has been paid in full. And so he passes into the underworld, the place where, separated by a big gulf, the bosom of Abraham on the one side and those being suffering in hell on the other side. And he's on his way there through the cross. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them. So what is Jesus' joy? Well, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Because when he's raised up from the dead, he will have lived a perfectly righteous life. When total perfect love for the Father 
And when he offers the sacrifice, he's seen as sin. But when he's raised from the dead, he's raised from the dead because he lived a righteous life. And so it is, he wants to share the joy of being pleasing to the Father with them, with us, for, for all those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ in the truth. If you're living a lie, if you're not really a Christian, if you're full of yourself because you're an elder or a pastor in a church, or because you've been a Christian for so many years, or for a dozen other reasons, pride is no part of this. This is only about humility. This is about taking the lowly place that God died for us. And he died for us while we were yet sinners. And as sinners, we received something we didn't deserve, and that's why it's called grace. I have given them your word, your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. See, we're one with Christ, but we're not of the world. There's a separation, a sanctification, being separated for a holy purpose, God's purpose. And being separated, we're separated from the world, and the world looks at us and says, what do you think, you're better than me? Well, no, I'm, I actually, I know I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. That's what I actually think. But when I tell you the way is through Christ, you don't want to hear that because you want to hear that you're good in yourself. Well, you can't be good in yourself. If you think that and continue that way to the end, you'll wind up in the flames and you'll continue there for all eternity. I'm not saying this. I'm just reading this and I'm acknowledging what God has said. And by acknowledging what God has said, I say the truth. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. See, these men are going to remain. That's what we do as Christians. We remain until God takes us out at whatever time. But we remain in the world and we have a message to tell. And it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm doing it right now. They're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Well, see, we're one with Christ. He's not of the world. He's not sinful. He's not disobedient, disobedient to the Father. Even as a man. He became a man. He put on human flesh. He was born of a virgin. He didn't come from the seed of, uh, of Adam. He, he's, he, he was planted within the woman's womb. Uh, a body was given to him, a human body. He was all completely human, but he was completely without sin. There was a separation there, a total different conception as from any other man. And there's the two races. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What is truth, Pilate said. Men, you know, everything I think, that's the truth to me. No, Jesus is saying something different here. Separate them out of the world. Separate them to yourself. Separate them in the truth. Your word, this word right here, Bible, 66 books in one Bible. The whole story of humanity, the whole story of redemption, the only one, the only truthful one, the only one that you can't find a contradiction in this whole word, which proves that it's the word of God and the only word of God. Oh, there's many false religions, but only one Jesus, only one person who's said to die for the sins of the world, only one raised from the dead. Only he has that testimony. Only he has the historic reality where so many historians, unsaved, ungodly men, who have said, and I'm not good with names, but you can look this up, he said there's, there's nothing more certain in human history than the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them in the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself 
that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus set himself apart. He set himself apart when the Father said to him, I want you to go and I, and I want you to be a, a, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And as a priest, you offer the sacrifice you're going to offer yourself. You're going to offer yourself from Psalm 110 where he's looking back into eternity and the father is telling the son the plan and the son is saying, yes, I'll go and I'll do it. I love you so much that I will take it upon myself. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for all those who believe in me through their word. So get this, the unity spans centuries of time, millennia of time, 2,000 years this has been going on and Jesus has sanctified himself not just for those 12, not just for the 500, not just for the 5,000, not just for thousands upon tens of thousands throughout 2,000 years. And as the population multiplies, so the, the, the population of the new race multiplies. But it, all that unity is for all. And so the early church was one church, and sin crept in, and the devil is alive, and there's division that comes in, and there's no place for men to ju- stand in judgment of anyone else. I stand in no in judgment of no man who hears this because the church is divided. I'm just saying we need to pray, we need to humble ourselves, and we need to be one in Christ because there's one new race, and that one race throughout all eternity will be one race. No division. No Pentecostals and Baptists and Presbyterian and Anglicans. No, it'll just be one in Christ, as we read in Romans chapter 5. That they, in verse 21, may all be one. Did you get that? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Wow! As the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. When God does something, he does it to perfection. Understand this. There's no unrighteousness. There's no imperfection in God. So when they're one, they are completely one. That's what God is. He's complete. He's whole. He's holy. And he's making us to be that way too. And we need to be on our knees, so that's what we are as well that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Division proves nothing. That's the way the world is. Division does not prove that we are in Christ. That they may may all be one, even as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I'm not writing this. I'm not making this up. This is Jesus' prayer on his way to his death, on his way to a sacrifice that the world is not worthy of. None of us are. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. How many times does God have to say something before we believe it? This is Jesus praying. This is Almighty God praying, standing with the disciples in the dark 
and spewing out, speaking out, proclaiming out words of truth that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. How could the Father love people who are created and are created by God and people who are created by God is a good thing as we were in the day of our creation, but how can a created thing be loved the same as an uncreated being of which there's only one? Only one God. Because we are identified with Christ through the sacrifice on the cross. He is taking our sins. We are taking on his righteousness. He is taking on our behavior. Not that he ever behaved that way. But he's taking on, in the eyes of the Father, our behavior. He's putting it to death. And he, in order to impart his life in us. So when the Father sees us, he sees the Son. He sees the Son so that he can say and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may be see my glory what I truly am, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Before all of that was conceived in the mind of God, I don't know how that works. Before the foundation of the world, before creation took place, in eternity past, when God was perfect as he always is, when God is in love with God, when the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father and the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son and the Father and the Son love the Holy Spirit and it's this family and this perfection and they need nothing and they need no one and they decide to create before that happened, Jesus is saying, before all of that, he's saying, Father, I desire that they also may be, may whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which I, which you have given me, for you loved me. You loved me. He wants us to share that love, that perfection of love, that perfection of unity. That love is seen in perfection only in unity. It's the word that ties the whole prayer together. Apart from unity, there is no love. Brothers and sisters, if you're listening in, this is the word of Christ. Apart from unity, there, and that doesn't mean a local church. That means the church universal. Every man and woman and child born again, a child of God, is called to this type 
of unity, this type of love. Is it hard? I don't care. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter. Because you have, you see, when we're in Christ, we have the resources of God in us. If we believe it, if we walk by faith, if we walk in the grace of God, God is available. If he can give a Corey Ten Boom who goes to a concentration camp during World War II and sees her family killed and can forgive those who did the killing and the torturing and love the brother in the faith, there's no excuse for any of us. O oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. The knowing is the intimacy of love. And in the intimacy of love, the disciples know that the Father sent the Son. Because in their unity, in their union, in their intimate relationship, loving relationship with Jesus, in knowing Jesus, we know the Father. And we know that Jesus is sent by the Father because there's only one. There are two, but there's one. Don't try to make sense of it. Just understand it. And the last verse, the last statement, and I have made your name known. You know, there's many, many names. And in all of those names, there's all these different shades and colors of the beautiful God. Whether it's the Lord, Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord that banner. He covers us with a banner of love. You know, it's the Lord thy healer, the Lord, the Lord thy provider. All, all of these multitude of names, which are just descriptions of God Almighty. I've made the name known. I'm making God known to them. And will continue to make him known. So that the love with which you loved me, that's Jesus the Son speaking to God the Father, may be in them and I in them. The Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, we are in the Son, we are in the Father, all brought through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, so there is one. Unity is the word. One race in Christ, just as there was one race in, and there is in Adam. What race do you want to be part of? You want to be a race of, of hatred that in one century, from 1900 to 2000, 2.4 is my figures, maybe way, maybe considerably off, but I, I know I found as, as many as 2.4 billion deaths, 2.4 billion murders, 2.4 times hatred. And that doesn't consider all the hatred of all the other people in all the world. What are we up to, 8 billion now? I mean, you want to consider the hatred that you want to be part of that, separated for all eternity, hellfire, under the wrath of God, the anger of God for that hatred. God did not make men this way. We've made ourselves this way. But there's an answer. Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. Trust in the cross. You'll be transplanted into a new race where you you will become completely and perfectly one with every other person for all eternity because we'll be one with God. And there's only one God. There's only one word. How can there be denominations when there's only one word? All we have to do is receive it for what it is. 
Well, you're talking like, well, who are you? Did you? What, what, I, I'm nobody. I'm just a child of God. All, I, all, I, all we need is God. Every one of us needs God to understand his word. Doesn't he understand his word? Well, if we're not in unity, you know what? Somebody's not understanding it. At least among the brethren. The brethren should be in agreement. I just read an entire prayer on his way to the cross to say, this is what I want. Now, that's the question I have to end with to anybody who's listening to this. This word, this, this message from the word of God. What, do you want what God wants? Then start setting your head against denominationalism. Ask God to raise up through the Holy Spirit men who will want unity as bad as God does. Didn't he pay enough? Didn't the cost, was the cost not great enough for us to get on down on knees, and I don't care how many hours it takes for us to come together. Is that impossible? Was it impossible for God to part the Red Sea, to bring water from a rock, to keep shoes on people's feet for 40 years? I mean, to bring manna down from heaven and bring the children of Israel into the promised land, and on and on the story goes. He can do what he wants he can raise up a Samson to kill a thousand people. He can raise up a David. He can do what he wants. Can he do this? We know this is what he wants. We have to just agree with him. This is what he wants. Let's pray for it. Let's get together and pray for it. Churches across America, around the world, let's pray for this. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are an awesome God. You're a God who stood one night outside of Jerusalem in the dark of night and you spoke words of light, words of truth. One day you're going to bring it to pass to perfection. I pray for the church that we would enter into the the plan, the desire, even, even now that we would begin to understand the necessity for unity, the necessity for humility, because that's the only path. How did Jesus get there? He washed the disciples' feet. He humbled himself. He said nothing before Pilate except what was necessary for the truth and for the law to be righteous and, and, and continue to honor the Father other than that, he was like a sheep before his, his shearers are shown, just quiet and helpless. Not that he wasn't almighty God, he could have ripped the, the world apart. But he humbled himself and he, he was obedient to death. Even death on the cross, Lord, make us to be obedient because of the price that Christ paid on the cross. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.